Good evening. This is Dave Wager with Nighttime. Glad you've chosen to listen to us tonight. If you want more of these episodes, you can go to relate365.com and download them there. Or if you want to listen to some talk radio programs that are specifically designed to help us keep our minds focused on what they should, you can find an internet radio station that plays those programs in harmony with Q90 out of Green Bay at Relay365.com. However, tonight I'm not here to give you an advertisement for things. I just want to be a part of your life in a way that will help you be all you can be. And I realize how important it is to get your mind set on the things that are above and not on things down here. And the reason I mention the downloads is because I want to continue talking about something that we talked about in the last program. Sorrow. And the importance of sorrow in our lives. You would need to go back and listen to the other program in order to understand the complete context of where we're at right now. But I will summarize by saying that sorrow isn't something that we push out of our life because it has a purpose in guiding and directing us towards a bigger goal and purpose. And if we try and minimize the sorrow in our life, we're, we're minimizing the work it can do. Not only that, to those who are knowledgeable, sorrow always follows. Jesus was known as a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. And knowledge will always produce sorrow. So you can choose to stay ignorant. We could do that. We can choose the easy way where we avoid anything that makes us sad. But if you really look at the world the way it is and you really understand God and what he's offering, I don't think you could stay away from sorrow. So knowledge will give you sorrow. That sorrow will produce repentance. I find it interesting that most people have that reversed. They think you repent and then you show sorrow. And they wonder why they're frustrated. It's because sorrow equals repentance. And repentance really equals forgiveness. It's interesting that I never read a passage in the Bible that talks about anyone who sought forgiveness from Jesus. Those who came to him confessed their sin. They certainly had sorrow. They, not, they had knowledge that he was God. That's where it started. And they had sorrow. And that sorrow produced a repentance where they were agreeing with God. 
and then Jesus offered forgiveness. I think when I grew up and when most of us grew up, our moms or dads or whoever we grew up with would tell us to say we're sorry about something when we weren't because we never really understood why we should be. Real knowledge produces sorrow. If the goal is forgiveness, if that's what we really want in life, then what we need to do is seek truth or be educated. Because then as we are educated, we see what we have done wrong and this produces a godly sorrow that produces repentance. One of my favorite resources is the Biblical Illustrator. I have it connected to one of my computer programs, so when I am reading a passage and trying to study what it says, I love going to the Biblical Illustrator and reading what some old-timers said about those verses, and whether they be Spurgeon or others, they're usually insightful. Here's some points that I think from the idea of being sorrowful that we can ponder. One of the points is wondering how sorrow can benefit us more than pleasure. But before I even go into that, I immediately think that pleasure has an ending point where you're wishing it would never go away, where sorrow has continual hope with it. Sensual pleasures are among the most dangerous enemies of virtue, but ardent and prone to excess. They require to be subjected to a prudent and holy vigilance and to be indulged with caution and circumspection. Coming from the Biblical Illustrator. Much indulgence in pleasure tends to weaken that watchfulness and guard which a wise and good man will find it necessary always to maintain over himself. You see, pleasure seldom admits wisdom to their party. The wand of truth that wisdom carries would destroy those who have unreal images and airy visions and who live in deluded surroundings. Wisdom would use restraint where often pleasure casts it aside. knowledge or wisdom would slow decision-making down where pleasure will cause somebody to 
make a rash decision quickly that can affect them for the rest of their lives or even cause their life to prematurely end. Seeking knowledge, seeking wisdom is far more valuable, even though it does produce sorrow. You see, pleasure not only impairs the guard which a wise man should constantly maintain over his heart, but it often lays it open to strong temptations. I've often compared it to the idea of our lungs who that love carbon monoxide. You would think that as it absorbed the carbon monoxide that it would realize that it's going to destroy itself and the very body that supports it. But there are harmful things in this life that might look appealing for a moment. And those who know, know that they shouldn't participate in such things. And believe it or not, that knowledge brings you sorrow because you can watch others who are participating in that very thing and enjoying the moment in that very thing. You could even sit there and wish that you could be enjoying that moment in that very thing. But it is that very thing that will destroy those who participate in it, and it is your knowledge of that that brings you sorrow, that brings you repentance to where you agree with God. And it is that repentance that allows you to live in the manner that you should. The mind is often humbled by suffering. When we suffer, sometimes if there's just a bit of relief, the smallest amount of change in a positive direction is met with gratitude. When we lie sick in bed and we're feeling just a bit better but not well, we're thankful for feeling just a bit better. Once again, our attitude has been transformed from one who maybe took our health for granted to being one who enjoyed the very fact that they're a little better. Oftentimes, those who are proud have a very hard time being thankful. Those who live for pleasure and think that pleasure is the answer for them, they are never satisfied, for it's like a fire that's forever consuming, but there's always a desire for more.
Scenes of pleasure and indulgence tend to impair the sentiments of piety towards God. A continual succession of pleasure is apt to efface from the mind that sentiment of dependence upon the Creator, so becoming the state of man. That from the Biblical Illustrator. High and constant pleasures are unfriendly to the exercise of benevolent affections. They tend to contract and harden the heart. Those who live for pleasure for themselves tend to be stingy. For fear that if they would help somebody who needed help, they themselves would have to suffer to do that. That might be the epitome of selfishness. When we look at Jesus, God's Son, He was God, His God. And He gave up His position to come and be born of Mary. A young lady that was going to be misunderstood and he lived in a time where he was misunderstood, where he was crucified next to criminals. Because you and I had a need that needed to be met that we could not meet. John 3.16 is a wonderful passage and that it says in the beginning, excuse me, that's Genesis 1.1. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Those who know about life and those who are educated really in truth and know truth are generous people. Because they will go through the Bible and realize that the money that they have, the resources that they have, are temporary and entrusted to them. They will realize that a resource that has been entrusted to you is not for self-indulgence. God did not give you what you have today so that you can ignore the needs of those who have needs and you could have more than you need. That's not the purpose of your resources. And if it is the purpose of your resources, and you're living a life that is less than fulfilling, it's because you're trying to find worth in the things that are worthless. You see, in life there are things to be loved and there are things to be used. And it is wise to know the difference. We love God and we love one another, but we don't love money and we don't love power. We use money and we use power, but we don't use God and we don't use one another. It is critically important that we don't mess up in this area. And one of the ways you know you're living right is when you can live a life where sorrow is a part of it. 
those who have sorrow, true sorrow, it will bring them to God and it will bring them into the lives of others. And that sorrow, if you've been listening, comes from you being educated and knowing what's actually going on, knowing who God is and responding to him. You see, pleasures tend to be things that destroy. They tend to enfeeble the principle of self-government. Because self-denial is necessary to self-command. See, the trouble with self-denial is that you have to say no to yourself. I know there are are very many profound things that we say on this program. But saying no to yourself means that you're living in sorrow to a certain degree because there's a reason you have to say no. There's something there that you want to do to be indulgent in yourself and your ideas and there's something that you want to use your resources for that is really all about you. And you say no to that and that no because of your knowledge. You know what's right and you know what's wrong and so you say no to it and that brings sorrow to you. That sorrow produces that repentance that produces God's forgiveness and your closeness to him you see God alone should dictate our lives not stuff in the midst of moderate enjoyment and corrected appetites the sentiments of duty have opportunity firmly to root themselves I've said often on this program that I ask the students of the Nicolay Bible Institute if they would learn to say no to themselves in ways that normal people would say doesn't matter. But it is important to be able to say no to self. And it's okay that if when you say no to self, you're sorry that you did it. Otherwise, you're not really saying no to yourself. I had a student some years back when I challenged them to say no to something that was very important in their life just for the sake of learning to say no. They looked at me and said, I think I'll say no to your homework. <laughs> that wasn't a discipline. That was saying no to something that brought you pleasure, possibly. Pleasure is unfavorable to those serious reflections upon our mortal condition. And the instability of all human things so that 
useful it's it's useful to prepare the soul for immortal destination the things that are useful for us to think about that will prepare us for the most important things in the future are usually not pleasurable there are many situations in life that we can ignore so that we could focus on our own pleasure and we can ignore them because of the sorrow they bring and we don't want that and knowledge brings sorrow but as we say no to ourselves I think there's a way that that starts to remind us of the important things in life I think uh, in the Bible there's obviously times where fasting is talked about and there have been times in my life where people have said you know if this is really important to you you need to fast and pray so that you can show how important it is and I, I don't think that fasting is something we do to show God how serious we are I think he knows how serious we are whether we fast or not I think it's the Holy Spirit who actually communicates our hearts and the Holy Spirit is God and very aware of what we're thinking But I don't think I've ever fasted where it didn't benefit me in a great way. I don't think there's been a time where I've said no to myself that somehow didn't benefit me. In the way I think, in the way I live. You see, being able to say no to our passions and desires is important. But there's no reason to do that if you don't know God, if you don't know why. Once again, it is the knowledge of the Holy One, the knowledge of God that brings this discipline. You might be thinking that I've been pounding that drum a little hard, the drum of knowing God. Well, I am convinced that in a culture that is totally obsessed with pleasure and totally runs from and masks and hides pain the best they can. It's because they don't know God. Knowledge will bring sorrow. Sorrow Godly sorrow will bring repentance. Repentance always brings forgiveness from God. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, the repentance part, and in order to get there, you need to understand that you were wrong. And if you really understand you were wrong, you will see a problem with being wrong and what it does to mankind and you and your relationships and there'll be some kind of godly sorrow there that will bring repentance. I am not saying that you manufacture the sorrow nor am I saying that you seek forgiveness. 
you seek the mind of God and agree with Him. Knowledge, sorrow will yield that. And in the end, there's forgiveness. Sorrow is set over against laughter, the house of mourning. J.W. Alexander said this actually in the, uh, and said some of the other quotes from the biblical illustrator. He said, sorrow is set over against laughter, the house of mourning over against the house of myrrh. The rebuke of the wise over against the music of fools. The day of death over against the day of birth. All tending, however, to this, that trouble and grief have their bright side, and that giddy indulgence and merriment carry a sting. Wow. I want you to hear that line again that trouble and grief have their bright side and that giddy indulgence and merriment carry a sting. Hmm. There are nine things, he says, that sorrow does for us, and if we have time, I can read them. He said sorrow is better than laughter because a great part of worldly merriment is no better than folly. Number two, sorrow is better than laughter because much of the worldly merriment tends to no intellectual or moral good. Number three, sorrow is better than laughter because worldly myrrh is short. He said in the eastern countries where fuel is very scarce, every combustible shrub, bush, and bramble is seized upon for culinary fires. Of these, the blaze is bright, hot, and soon extinct, such as worldly myrrh. Worldly myrrh is unsatisfying. Vanity of vanities is the fourth thing he says. Emptiness, emptiness, and those who seek emptiness will find it, and they will be empty. His fifth observation is that sorrow is better than laughter because sorrow breeds reflection. There can be no contemplation amidst the riot of self-indulgence, but the house of mourning is a meditative abode. His sixth observation, sorrow is better than laughter because sorrow brings a lessons of wisdom. Sufferers not only think but learn. His seventh, sorrow is better than laughter because sorrow amends the heart and life. His eighth, sorrow is better than laughter because sorrow likens us to him whom we love. And his last observation on the passage in Isaiah is that sorrow is better than laughter because sorrow can end in joy. I thought about that a lot, it seems as though laughter can't end in joy, it just ends and you wish you could do it again. Well, I thank you again for listening to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host. 
with a leadership team here at Relate365.com. And I would invite you to check out the resources there at Relate365.com when you have an opportunity. Relate 365 is a ministry of Silver Birch Ranch, a camp and conference center in the Northwoods of Wisconsin, and you can find more information at silverbirchranch.org. It's fun being at a place that really strives to try and find out ways to drive people to God. Silverbridge Ranch has a mission that's very simple. It's to know Christ and to make him known. And through the years, that's become my personal mission as well. And it's why I do these. I would love to hear from you. You can do that through the Relate365.com site or through the silverbirchranch.org. I guess either one would get to my desk. I thank you for listening and wish you a good evening and hope that you decide to join me again. Good night.